welcome to AI Jcast, a podcast featuring conversations and performances at the intersection of art, inspiration, and justice. I'm your host, Mark Thames Sanders. On this episode, we are revisiting our 2020 conversation with Sam Yen Bata. Sam is a multi-instrumentalist and a hospital chaplain, and he spoke with us at the time from his chaplain's office in New Jersey in the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. Sam Yenbata, welcome to AIJCast. Appreciate it, Martin. What's up, folks? How y'all doing? Before we jump into the meat of the conversation, I do want to talk about where you are right now. You are in your office where you work as a chaplain in a hospital. Yep. In the midst of COVID-19, you are providing spiritual care for people who are facing really a health crisis. Mm-hmm. How can you explain to those of us who aren't in that context what it's like right now? If you imagine the experience of suffering as something that happens to us all, okay, and the experience of us being at home and being isolated, I think those two concepts can help us to get into where I am. Mm. A lot of people are suffering, yeah, yet they're experiencing that suffering in isolation. Mm particularly because COVID-19 means that for some folks, you won't be able to enter your rooms. Right. Families are staying away. Right. And that makes it a difficult experience for both family members and for us as clergy. Yeah. Um, so our department um, initially um, has started to provide telechaplaincy, which is spiritual care through the telephone. Okay. Um, and in, in the exception of folks who are at end of life, we've had clergy folks to come in and bless and be with the patients in that time. And so the idea here is something that's connected to a core belief of mine, mm. and that's that it's not perhaps suffering itself that has the potential to destroy us, but suffering alone. Mm. That's what has the potential to really do damage. Mm. And so the, the goal of our spiritual care is to be that presence so that folks can process and not be alone. Yeah. In this time. Wow. Well, you've already, just by talking about that in such a beautiful, succinct way, that hit on the things that really are at the heart of how you describe yourself and how you describe the world that you inhabit. When you talk about life as you live it and ministry and music, there's three nodes for you that you return to again. It's blues, swing, and improv. And what I've just heard you talk about in that moment is the way you talk about blues swing and improv blues, the suffering, uh, swing, uh, being together with other people, improv adapting to the fact that you're not allowed to go into the room with people. So all of those things are already at play in what you've talked about. So let's jump into it, man. Let's do it. Let's talk about blues. Tell me about the blues. Let's, let's just start with it where most people know if they know the blues, they know it musically. So let's start there. Tell me about the blues. What is it about it? musically that inspires you that that spurs you the blues idiom gives me a space to express my full range of emotion um, i might be playing certain idioms that um, flat chords uh, minor chords might not be the predominant structure of that chord progression and so I find myself as a person who lives often in in-between spaces. Mm. Um, I think about it culturally. I was born in Ghana, lived there for seven years, came and immigrated to the United States, 
to Southwest Atlanta. And so uh, I, I live in between two worlds, my mm-hmm. African and my African-American identity. Mm-hmm. Um, I live between two worlds as a pastor and as a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, I live between two worlds as a chaplain who is in the midst of this COVID pandemic, we're still figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And so blues also to me represents a, a comfortability with being in between. Mm-hmm. And allowing those tensions to live and spread and speak such that meaning can be found in them. Because I think the temptation in life is to put away all the pain. Yeah. Put away all the tension. Yeah. And do something that I like to call spiritual bypass. (laughs) (laughs) You know, let's just cut to the glory moment. Yeah. Let's cut to the end of the song, go back to the top of the head and and wrap the song all up. Yeah. Yet I, I find that much like the experience of moving from Good Friday to Easter Sunday, dwelling in that Holy Saturday moment, is precisely where the grief can become mourning. Mm. And if I think about it theologically as well, Martin, I'm thinking about Matthew 5. It says, blessed are those who mourn, yeah. for they shall be comforted. Yeah. And so the promise for being comforted is that you mourn yeah the the prerequisite to comfort is that you mourn so the blues also enables me to be okay with that mourning space mm. such that i i can trust that at the end of the composition the head this experience of COVID 19 there'll be some comfort if we're thinking musically and I, I don't want to spend all the time in this kind of literal space i do find it helpful to ground there and you've already moved us into these beautiful spaces is there a, a a song or a musician that comes to mind when you think of the blues who really epitomizes that in between that grief into mourning that allows for the comforting i've been listening to a musician lately uh reverend gary davis a blues guitarist who has influenced so many american guitarists and his music since the 1960s has been a a grounding point for me to go back to in, in moments of suffering. Mm. Um, so that he's one of the guitarists that I often listen to. Um, saxophonist, um, I, I very much turn to Kirk Whalem in a time like this because um, he he sits in that tradition of being pastor and musical prophet. Mm. And his music has also been a source of inspiration and guidance to me in this time. Mm. Let, let's shift a little bit to talk about swing. Let's let's jump into it uh, musically first. <laughs> well, when you're swinging, you can't swing alone. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it'll be very lonely if you're swinging by yourself. Um, this, this, the swing experience is one where I find myself listening intently to those around me. And I am finding myself in the middle of a conversation. And my voice doesn't have to be the most important part. Mm. Um, but my voice can be a supporting part in communicating an important message. Mm. And so the swing idiom uh, gives me a sense of my connection to my West African tradition of Ubuntu. Mm. This concept that I am because we are. Mm. And that if I want to go fast, I could go alone. But if I want to go far, I got to go together. Yeah. And so that's uh, how the swing idiom connects to my, my, my cultural tradition. And is very much a part of the work that I'm doing in the hospital these days. Sure. I found myself um, in the emergency department debriefing with nurses and physicians every, almost every day. Mm. 
and together we're debriefing and processing what this experience has been like for us. And there are insights that and experiences that come from my vantage point as a chaplain, and they see things as nurses, providers. Sure. And together we can uh, put together a, an image of what we're seeing. Mm, mm. Instead of yeah. acting in isolation, yeah. 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 Who yeah. are your swing heroes musically? Uh, my swing heroes, I got to go, first of all, with Charlie Parker. I got to also shout out Coltrane. A third shout out, Cannonball Adderley. And yeah, those are my those are my top that's, three. That's the holy trinity of swing. Uh, yep, uh, for me as a saxophonist, <laughs> at least. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and improv, improv figures heavily in jazz, not just in jazz, but it figures heavily in jazz. Let's talk about improv. In my experience of improv, there there is always this point where uh, I'm working at trying to communicate an idea, and I experience stuckness. Hmm. And in that stuckness, um, it's I, I experience it technically, working through chord progressions. Yeah, I experience it existentially as well. Um, I'm trying. There's something in my soul that is seeking to be communicated, hmm. and I'm trying to find a way to be one with myself in the music, such that the chord progressions or the notes themselves are not my focus, hmm. but the message. And as I improv, um, I've, I've been leaving these days a lot of space in between my notes. Um, when I first started out as a young cat trying to get into this, into this good music, I just wanted to play a lot. I had a lot of phrases. Get these fast runs going. You know it. Yeah. Check out my chops. <laughs> and and that, that experience of saying, hey, look at me, is very different from saying, hey, um, I want to say something to you. Are you listening? And so um, I, I've, I'm be, I've been leaving space in my improv and in my in my soul as well these days because mm. living on the front lines, the temptation is to work fast, process, and metabolize the experience. And sometimes the experience isn't metabolized so quickly. Mm. So giving myself space to to sit on a note, even if it's a quote unquote bad note. <laughs> it has been a, a it's, it's been a practice of mine both spiritually and musically in this time. Who are your highlights for improvisers when it comes to music? I I really love the way that Miles spoke through his horn. It's poignant. It was chosen very free as well and so that balance of being able to express and be in the moment he's one of my par excellence um, mentors um, improv also love vocalists and what they mm. do <laughs> with their voices um, I experienced the saxophone to be a very vocal instrument yeah it's got that almost um, depending on which whether you're talking tenor, or baritone, et cetera. It's it's got a very vocal range to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, if if I'm picking up my tenor, um, I'm thinking of Sarah Vaughn. I'm thinking of Billie Holiday. Um, if I'm picking up my alto, I'm doing a little bit of Aretha, a little bit of um, 
Roberta Flack, um, and my new age influences. Uh, I got a little bit of Badu in there, mm-hmm. Jill Scott, and shout out to Layla Hathaway as well. Yeah, yeah. Because um, she can embody the whole range of all saxophones. And so I spent my time listening to her music and trying to get her chops. And Rochelle Pharrell, I'll, I'll end it mm. on this one. Rochelle Pharrell, my gosh. Her way of articulating and using the full range of her voice to create sounds, yeah. not just sing notes. Is go go check out her stuff if you haven't. <laughs> well, and I so here's an interesting thing for me. I love. I, I am a musician. I I don't have the chops you do, but I have finally claimed the boldness to say I am a musician because I do play instruments. Yes, you do. And I've found the gift of improvisation in music. Mm-hmm. Where I've really interacted with the world of improv is in the theatrical world, particularly the world of improv comedy. Mm. And mm. there's this interesting kind of these two distinct, very American art forms of jazz and comedy and improv in both of those mm-hmm. that never meet up. Mm. And it's interesting to me because I think they have a lot of similarities, at least in kind of the, the ethic that underscores them, that, that buffets them up. Um, even if their origins are very different, the, the, the world of improv comedy comes out of a very intellectual, very white, very male kind of, kind of world. And the world of jazz comes out of a very African-American context form, uh, particularly coming out of slavery and post-slavery and reconstruction. So, so they're two very different worlds, but they have this interesting potential of intersection for the kinds of things that you're talking about. In improv comedy, you notice the guy who's going to run in the front of the stage and come up with the quick one-liners that seem just like amazing. But the guy that's really good or the woman that's really good, the person that's really good is the one in the back who is making the other person look good by giving them space. Mm. Right? Yeah, that's it. That's it. You talk about that person in the background making things work. Immediately, I thought about the bass player. Yeah. um, The rhythm section. Shout out to the bass, the basement, as we used to call them in, in high school. And the basement folks are behind the scenes. And of course, they don't get the glamour of being front of the stage. And so uh, in, in my I guess my in my spiritual care context, I think of those as the um, EVS workers, the folks who are going in and out of rooms, cleaning up beds and couches and sanitizing and mopping the floors um the marginalized those who are unseen um and making space to your point for their for their voices to to be seen their stories to be heard is I think it's important. Sam Yenbata on AIJCast. We'll be back with more of our 2020 conversation with him in just a moment but first a quick word As always, I encourage you to visit the AIJCast website, AIJCast.com, which is where you will find links to our artists, including their news, information, and products. We've got links there to our recent collaboration with Sam Yenbata, along with our friends Aisha Brooks-Johnson and Amantha Barbie in a song entitled Slow of Heart. We've also got links to a playlist that was inspired by our conversation with Sam. We've got music on there from John Coltrane, Miles Davis, Dinosaur Jr., Sonic Youth, Stevie Wonder, and so much more. 
And by the way, we are in the midst of season 20, believe it or not, of AIJCast. And so during this season, we are revisiting conversations of past guests on AIJCast, not only to celebrate our 20th season, but also in anticipation of season 21, which will hold some exciting developments here at AIJCast. You can find information about all of these things and so much more at our website, which is AIJCast.com. And now, back to more of our conversation with Sam Yin Well, and you were talking before we hit record about what you were doing this morning, meeting with some of those folk, particularly the, the, the cleaning staff and mm-hmm. playing your saxophone. Yeah. Uh, this morning was 7 a.m. bright and early, got out the house, got to my office, put the horn together. And in the middle of what we call the bridge in our hospital, a wide hallway, there is a glass that overlooks our restaurant and the workers were sitting socially distant and gathered in a circle so I took my speaker pulled out that saxophone and uh, I gave a blessing of sorts each year we we usually do a blessing of the hands yet in the experience of COVID-19 not being able to hold folks hands um, I could speak a blessing with my words and with my horn and so we played a couple of songs, and the experience of music bringing levity to a time like this is something that connects me to something that Pascal said. Mm. Pascal said, in difficult times, carry something beautiful in your soul. Wow. And music has the potential to be that beauty, that people carry within their souls. The melody, as I was walking away, people were still singing and dancing and as, as I see them in the hallway they're like <laughs> they're still singing and shaking <laughs> so that's been it's been, a, it's been a gift to to bring music to the folks who are behind the scenes and make sure that they are seen as well the benediction that I give on this podcast is go and make some beauty of your own actually in COVID-19 I've changed it to stay and make some beauty of your own mm-hmm. but the mm-hmm. point is that there is something about the artistic impulse that is beautiful. And I don't mean that it's necessarily aesthetically pleasing. There are movements of art, music, you name it, that are confrontational, that are dissonant. They may not be beautiful or pleasing in that sense, but they are calling attention or crying out. They're almost, it's almost like I, I confront those moments as crying out for beauty. Mm. They're confronting us with the fact that there is there is a need for the beauty in the world in which we live with, with all the darkness that exists in a, in a time like this to, to see it in that paradigm of crying out for beauty. Um, it's, it reflects what we need in this time. Mm. And so some of our scriptural paradigm is to go out and be light mm-hmm. um, or to be salt. Mm-hmm. And as we seek to do that, beauty is, is, is surely what I see light as. Mm. I see salt as bringing some, I, mean, I think about it in terms of my cultural foods. Um, you, you get some, a little bit of salt in there, that thing is going to hit right. I'm curious, you, you lift up the the images of light and dark, and that's something I've been struggling with a lot lately as a guy who has never had to think about the meaning of those metaphors as a white guy walking in a predominantly white world. 
you're coming out of a background of being born in Africa and moving to Southwest Atlanta. So you talk about yourself between African and African-American roots. What do you do in the midst of that with these metaphors of light and dark? Light is good. Dark is bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dualistic thinking gets me caught up. (laughs) 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 And so I just like to obliterate. There you go. (laughs) All the dualistic uh, paradigms. And um, I, I, I'll start with connecting with your, your personal sharing of struggling with what it means to experience darkness and yeah. seeing that in the context of your personhood as a white male. Yeah. And I, I think of darkness literally as a person who wears glasses first off. Mm-hmm. Um, when I take my glasses off at night and I can't see what's around me at home, Darkness forces me to slow down. Mm, that's the gift of it. I, I can't rush through the living room to the bathroom. I really have to be in tune with what's around me. Yeah. And so darkness can be this wonderful invitation to slow down and to experience the core of our humanity and all yeah. that's around us. Yeah. Um, um, I also think about darkness in terms of my shadow side. Mm. There are parts of Sam that in relationship with people will be annoying. And I own that. Mm. And part of seeing that shadow side of who I am means that I have to shine a light on it. Mm. And when I shine a light on that shadow side, it it starts to lose its power Hmm. as something that can cripple me or my relationships or I want to be conscious with my words because I did say cripple. Thank Um, you. Yeah. Yeah, something yeah. that can harm you. Yeah, something that can harm me um, and the relationships that I'm seeking to to develop. Mm. And so when I shine a light on it and can embrace the shadow, the darkness, it loses its power um, in that sense. And then I see it like blackness in terms of my, my cultural identity. Um, there's this, this vast notion of the black diaspora mm-hmm. and all kinds of blackness. right? Mm-hmm. And... And my my blackness, yes, I believe is beautiful, and I celebrate that. And that's where I I, I wear my kufi a lot. Uh, I make sure this part of my cultural heritage is literally represented on top of my head. You got it on right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I I see my blackness as, yes, James Cone, we've had this concept of black liberation theology. Um, We've thought through womanist theology and we're still expanding what these um, lexicons of theology and meaning for people of color are and I find myself to believe that God created in darkness right without darkness there is no creation Mm-mm. and even before the lights were in the firmament were placed <laughs> the, the darkness was good yeah yeah and so i i go back to the the foundation of my my biblical heritage yeah because there's dark and light it's not that god creates light and then dark is done dark Damn. and light they're both needed yeah they gotta coexist yeah. i love that you've picked up on your own words and recognizing that words like cripple also have a, a connotation and a value to them as well because that fits with what we're talking about, the power of language. Mm-hmm. And I, I hear people who criticize that 
caution of language and you know it's it's trying to police language it's trying to him in language prevent us from saying things etc and what i have come to and it's i feel like you're similar in this is the fact that the care about our language recognizes the power that our words have mm-hmm. that our words shape what we say and what we hear shape the way that we see and feel and experience the world i my most common error in this regard is using words around mental health. I will Mm -hmm. say something is insane and that could be either positive or negative. That's crazy. That's either positive or negative. And it's only when I'm called on it that I recognize the potential harm that it does and the potential that it helps me, that it causes me to experience the world through a series of lenses that might not be helpful. But it's not until I'm, it's called to my attention that I even pay attention mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I want to connect with Audre Lorde a bit here. Um, I, she, for me, was really informative in shaping how I experience language and this concept of what's most important to be said and the experience of policing language. Mm-hmm. And in her essay, the the transformation of silence into language and action, she has some really powerful takeaways. And in her experience of facing death, mm. right, she, she realized that what's most important to us must first be said mm. um, at all costs, even at the risk of our speaking being misunderstood or our words being bruised or our concepts and egos i mean let's let's go to the heart of it yeah Uh, i think when we speak we're all afraid that maybe maybe not all of us but some of us (laughs) (laughs) but when we speak that we we have this sense that we're afraid that our words will not be heard or welcomed and i think that's that that's what that defensiveness is about right it's you're not just attacking what i say you're attacking me Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so there's got to be this courage to it's not it's not a desire to make people fall silent there's got to be a courage to express in order to make a mistake and grow Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's it's the playing the wrong note and just leaning into that yes all the way in it's like oh that thing sounds nasty (laughs) (laughs) but it's out there it's out there and will i be judged for it will i be Put out of the community for it because I mean, the reality is that even when we're silent that sense of fear still exists yeah and yeah. so perhaps it's better to speak now I, I come to this language and this experience of speaking with a, a particularly charged history around words mm. and speaking um, back in my context in ghana i had a math tutor and every time i would get the answers wrong I would get corporal punishment or my math tutor would beat me. Wow. And so it created within me this fear of speaking and only speaking what I thought would be the right answers. Um, And so that complicated my experience of learning how to speak in predominantly spaces that are white Mm -hmm. as a black man. like if I'm thinking about it psychosomatically or psychologically, is the tutor in the room? Yeah. Yeah. Even when the tutor is not there, yeah, 
Um, what is my, my voice as a black man? Um, will it be welcomed? Will it be heard? All of these realities are, once again, boiling from the surface as I risk my ideas, my words, and even my music. Mm. Yeah. And so words can have a, f- f- I mean, for all sorts of people can have a charged history. It could, you could grow up in an environment where your expression of self was so, so welcomed. And that's a gift. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, what I find myself to be is um, trying to work with these sufferings um, and to be aware of how my words might affect and impact somebody is, is at the heart of my, my work as a spiritual care provider. When I go into a patient's room, um, I'm listening to what they're saying mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm choosing when to speak, when to reframe a situation, when to challenge when to affirm, this when is, to reverently acknowledge. You're, you're swinging improv right there. <laughs> All day. That's what I hear in the midst of that. That's You're listening to them, you're echoing back, you're adapting, you're paying attention. Yeah. All day. And so it's it's a muscle that I'm exercising on the horn. It's an exercising daily as a, as a spiritual care provider. And I, I think that there can be perhaps sometimes that same fear instilled in people when we say don't try to police or people's language you should have the freedom of speech um i think freedom of speech is is connected to consciousness absolutely a hundred percent yeah yeah they they it's amazing there are studies out i remember reading about this there are studies that show that languages that are gendered mm-hmm. where you have you know a, a gendered uh, pronoun or article or uh um that we don't have in English, but languages that are gendered tend to exhibit more gender distinction and, and discrimination than languages that don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because speaking affects the way we see the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Who, who's an insider? Who's an outsider? Right. Who has power? Who doesn't? If all the male words have power and the female words don't, you have just communicated something absolutely crystal clear to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sam Yenbata on AIJCast. You can find him online at his website, samuelyenbata.com. That's S A M U E L Y E N N B A T A H.com. On our next episode, we're revisiting our 2018 conversation with another of our recent collaborators, Aisha Brooks Johnson. AIJCast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. We can only do this because of that support, so please do take just a moment, go to our website, AIJCast.com, and click on the link that says support. And we love to hang out with you on the social medias. We are there on a multitude of platforms where our handle is AIJCast. By the way, as we continue to develop things for season 21, if you want to stay up to date, be sure to follow us on the social medias to get our latest news. Our theme music comes from our house band, Marg Fame. And we are engineered, mixed, and produced by the always salient Al Mudif, who has this simple playground philosophy. When you're swinging, you can't swing alone. And I'm your host, Martha Sanders, encouraging you to create some beauty of your own. And remember that the world isn't truly beautiful until it's beautiful for all. Until next time, I invite you to paint your own canvas with justice and peace.